am here to protect women, girls. My God, why do I have to apologize for that? We spent decades trying to protect women. And you know what? We won. Every decision they make can have an effect on our lives. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I never told anybody to lie. Not a single time. Never. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack. America's not the same as it was 100 years ago. The violent mayhem we have seen in the streets and cities that are run by liberal Democrats. This is Our Lives in Politics with your host Booker and co-host Lou Basada. One night at dinner this week, my 11-year-old daughter and my wife started talking about Taylor Swift being the person of the year for Time Magazine in 2023. Like most 11-year-olds, my daughter, she's obsessed with Taylor Swift right now, and I assume she's going to grow out of that. I, I no longer fall asleep with uh, visions of being the next evil Knievel like I did when I was 11. But it was interesting what both my wife and daughter said about Taylor Swift when that discussion moved toward politics with regard to Taylor Swift. They both are plugged into the world of Swift on social media, and they both said that Taylor Swift would decide the 2024 presidential election. I just sat there listening, and I was stunned at that. But as they presented the case for that, they started making some sense. Swift's influence over 18 to 30-year-old crowd could really energize the young voters that Joe Biden seems to be losing right now. If Swift makes the claim that Biden has to be elected to save democracy, as we hear all the time, and keep everyone safe from the MAGA extremists and Donald Trump, I have little doubt that Swift's influence could make some difference. Recently, a USA Today opinion article uh, wrote this, and I'm going to quote this. It's possible everything leading up to the 2024 presidential election, the trials of former President Donald Trump, the age of both Trump and Joe Biden, the teeth gnashing over endless voter polls, will prove to be nothing more than noise, and the thing that swings voters will be Taylor Swift, unquote. That's from the USA Today. Here's some real data that was driven by only one Taylor Swift social media post. National Voter Registration Day was this past September 19th. She, at that time, she put out a post encouraging her followers to register to vote at vote.org. On that day, there was an additional 35,000 new registrations, or it was a 25% increase over a normal day for registrations. And that was just from one, one social media post by Taylor Swift. It's worth considering and having our eyes on that radar as we move into the 2024 election. But what struck me about the selection of Taylor Swift for the Time Magazine Person of the Year was the devolution of the Time Magazine honor over all these years. For nearly a century, the honor was given to world leaders, medical innovators, and space explorers, Anwar Sadat, Hitler, Stalin, FDR, JFK, the crew of Apollo 8 moon mission. They were person of the year by time. They've all been there. Personally, I have no problem with Taylor Swift. She's great at what she does, but 
doesn't this really reflect on a society and a culture? It's become more influential in our world for a singer that gets on stage and sings songs, and she happens to go to some football games because she dates a football player. That's more important to shape the world than those that truly made a difference in the world, good and bad. People that healed souls and people that healed hearts and people that walked on the moon and reached for the stars. It's a sad reflection of Time Magazine. And even greater than that, it's a sad reflection of our society. I'm Booker Scott. Thanks for joining us here on America Out Loud Talk Radio or wherever you listen to your podcasts. There were some interesting revelations from Senate and House hearings this week in Washington, D.C., and I'll get to that a little. And we'll also introduce you to a young veteran who is running for office in the state of North Carolina. He is looking to represent Congressional District 13 in the upcoming 2024 election. I'm not really sure where to start this week, but there was a Republican primary presidential debate. I'm not sure that you watched that. The four remaining contenders competed in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Donald Trump was not part of that debate. And I don't really think that many people were tuned in, but there were some interesting things that came from that. There were Ivy League college presidents trying to explain the uprising of anti-Semitism on their campuses, and we'll get into that just a little bit. There were DOJ officials and FBI director testifying this week in hearings, and there was a congressional hearing on men playing women sports. Can you believe that? Of all the things the government has the power to change and control for all Americans, for all people, we're at a point where congressional hearings are wasted on men playing women's sports. (laughs) Never in a million years would I have thought we need to say men can't play women's sports, but here we are in the 21st century. Title IX was introduced in the late 1970s, and a big part of that was equal treatment for women in sports. There was a reason and really a big need for it at the time. Before Title IX, there were hardly any female scholarships for athletics, and men got them all. Remember Bear Bryant? He's probably still one of the most famous college football coaches in history, and he was well known for that houndstooth hat on the sidelines at Alabama, but he also coached at Kentucky and Texas A&M before he coached Alabama. It was said that prior to Title IX, Bear Bryant at Alabama may have 150 men on scholarship to play football, and that he would give the scholarships to players only to prevent them from going to a rival school, and knowing that they would actually never play for Alabama. It was a defensive mechanism, but those scholarships were used for men and women were not getting them. And the rules of Title IX basically were done, part of them, for that reason. Title IX gave equal opportunities for women, for our daughters, to be rewarded for their achievement and work, to become a college athlete and be awarded with scholarships. And that's why there are additional women's sports at a lot of universities, just They're sports just for women that men don't play. That's so those scholarships could be equal between men and women. Now, welcome to the 21st century, where men can get pregnant, women are men, men are women, according to the CDC website, trans lesbians are even lesbians too. 
and I don't get that one. And if you remember, it was swimmer Leah Thomas that won the NCAA Swimming National Championship. That's where Riley Gaines came from and where she got her start. And it's gotten crazy, and they're having hearings on it on Capitol Hill. It happened this week, too. Let's listen to Congresswoman Lisa McLean, and she is in this hearing. She represents Michigan's 9th District, and she was passionate about this subject. Have we lost our minds? I sat here and listened to every, every label imaginable. I, I am here to protect women, girls. My God, why do I have to apologize for that? We spent decades trying to protect women. And you know what? We won. We won. So I will not apologize now or ever for trying to protect my daughters and women in sports. And that's what this hearing was about, protecting women. So you know what? I am a woman, and let me tell you, hear me roar, because I will not stop protecting women. You want to know why? Because we have rights, too. Women have rights, too. And our daughters have rights, too. So as we see mediocre men athletes identifying as females, they begin to take scholarships from young ladies that have spent their entire lives working hard to achieve that scholarship. And now those opportunities are being taken away. And also just on the field of competition, you're now competing with a biological man and championships are being taken away. Again, we are not protecting our women, our ladies, our young ladies, and our daughters. Here is Congresswoman McLean again talking about a little bit about what the Biden administration wants to do with Title IX. Frankly, I am mystified by the Biden administration's shameless failures to protect women's rights. We talk about protecting women's rights like that's such a bad thing, that that's so evil to protect women's rights. Have we lost our mind? The administration's proposed Title IX rule will rewind decades of progress in women's rights. The Biden administration is weakening Title IX by allowing all males who identify as women to participate in women's sports. Okay, identify as women. How about just be a woman? Can you honestly believe that that is even a thing right now? Uh, why can't you just be a woman? Why are we why are we here? Why have we allowed this to happen? Because that's exactly what has happened. Well, we have allowed this to happen in our society. It's sad to watch, but are there answers? Are there solutions? Well, Congresswoman Lisa McLean has some legislation she wants to pass. What about defending our women? What about defending my daughters? Don't I have a right? You know what? I say, yes, I do. The proposed Department of Education rules will do nothing to preserve the safety or fairness of women's sports. This is about protecting girls and women. This is about protecting our daughters, our sisters, our nieces, and our granddaughters. And you know what? Lisa McLean is here to fight for them. That's why I've drafted a bill, Save Women's Sports Act, to protect sports and fair competition across the nation. 
Remember Title IX that we fought so hard for? My bill prohibits any school or university that receives federal funding from allowing biological males from participating in women's sports. So you can do it. We're just not funding it. If schools violate the provision of this bill, they lose access to all federal funding. You can be who you want to be, but the American people don't have to fund it especially since about 70% of them actually agree with me. Simply put, this bill will stop the pattern of unremarkable male athletes that switch to women's sports and suddenly come in first place. And doesn't that make way too much sense to ever actually become any legislation that is passed in the House and the Senate of the U.S. government? It makes way too much sense. A woman is a woman, a man is a man. It's simple. Change your chromosomes and I'll change my pronouns. What about that? That's Lisa McLean, Congresswoman from Michigan, and I fully support her. I hope it goes somewhere, but it's more than likely just one of those bills that the Republicans will use for messaging as we go into the 2024 campaigns. It's important, the messaging that is coming from both sides, the Democrats and the Republicans, as we look forward into 24 in the elections. Let's stay in a hearing with Elise Stefanik. And she had the opportunity to question some Ivy League presidents. And it didn't go so well, but it did make a lot of headlines this week. Here is Elise Stefanik. Does M- at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated as harassment, if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your testimony that you will not answer yes? If it is, if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. And it's really unbelievable when you hear so many of these people that testify before Congress in these hearings. Uh, They don't know how to define a woman. Uh, These people can't answer yes. And again, make make sure that you understand what Elise Stefanik is asking. 
She isn't asking about a First Amendment right of free speech. She's talking about a code of conduct within a university or on a college campus. It's a really simple question. Is it harassment? Are you bullying? But there you have MIT. There you have the University of Pennsylvania presidents. Neither one of them being able to answer a direct question. Let's go to Harvard. Let's see what Harvard has to say. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual. Targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation. That is actionable conduct, and we do take action. So... The answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. And I really just don't even know what to say. Is there, is there anything any of us can say about all of the stuff that we see going on? I don't think so. Why would anybody ever in the right mind want to go be a congressman? The good people want to go be in this clown show. We're going to get to that in a few minutes when I bring in Matt Shoemaker in this hour to have a conversation with him because that's exactly what he wants to do for the state of North Carolina in District 13. And that's around the Raleigh area. So we'll have him in just a few minutes. But before we get to that, let's have, uh, let's have a look at what was going on in the Senate during this week on some hearings. And specifically, there was Christopher Ray of the Department of Justice and the head of the FBI that was in a Senate hearing. And this was Josh Hawley. If you remember, there was an incident with the FBI where they went and tried to investigate Catholic churches. And Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri was questioning Christopher Ray on that specifically. Do you have a problem with systemic bigotry against Catholics in the FBI? No. What are you going to do about this? Are you going to fire these people or not? Those individuals have all been admonished and it is all going into their, if you would let me finish my answer, it is all going into their annual performance reviews, which has direct impact on their compensation, among other things. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. I see. So the 60 million American Catholics who we now, who now learn that your FBI has recommended that priests be Recruiters, informants, your FBI has gone to priests, choir directors, but we're to feel better because you've admonished them for their wrongdoing. You, again, are conflating two different well, things. I'm not. When I am we taking are... your testimony where you said you do not. You said categorically, categorically, you said we do not. We do not go to priests 
and asked them about the parishioners. You said we do not. You didn't say we haven't. You didn't say we won't. You said we don't. As it turns out, you do. And you kept it from the public. You deliberately misled Congress about it. And the only reason we know about it is because a whistleblower came forward. I just That's fundamentally disagree with your characterization. Well, there's no characterization of the facts of the facts. And I fundamentally resent the fact that you have violated, if not the spirit, if not the letter, certainly the spirit of the First Amendment. And Christopher Ray stayed on the hot seat when Senator Ted Cruz questioned him. And to play this clip for you, I want to sort of set it up for you. Take you back to the Hunter Biden investigation. Yeah, I know we are tired of hearing about Hunter Biden. But real quick, it was Hunter Biden that was about to have a search warrant issued and was about to be executed on a storage unit in Virginia is where it was, where I evidently we don't really know what was in there, but whatever it was, it was important enough for Leslie Wolf, an assistant attorney general in Delaware, that tipped off Hunter Biden's attorneys to move that stuff, whatever was in that storage unit, they moved it because the Department of Justice tipped them off. The Department of Justice, part of the FBI, here is Senator Ted Cruz. Let me ask you also, the whistleblower testified that investigators wanted to execute a search warrant on a storage unit used by Hunter Biden, and instead they tipped off Hunter Biden's lawyer before the search warrant was carried out. Is it typical FBI practice to tip off the subject of a search warrant before the search warrant so they can remove any evidence that's incriminating? What is typical is that when you're dealing with an individual who has a protective detail... Uh Okay, he can't answer a question. No, None of these people can answer a straight question. Let's go back. Christopher Ray. here's the rest of it. It is typical for agents to be in contact with does the, the subject's protective, protective, detail, protective detail. Does the protective detail guard the, the storage unit? Again, I can't speak to the storage unit specifically, but I can tell you is that why, when it comes to... Why would the FBI tip off the subject of a search warrant about the storage unit that was going to be searched beforehand? Does that not undermine the very essence of an investigation that DOJ is purporting to undertake. Again, I'm not going to be able to discuss specific investigative settings. But who that we're is? If in. you're not, nobody answers these questions, and it's why people are furious with the cover-up, because you don't believe the FBI is accountable to Congress or to the American people. Your time is up. Director Ray has requested a five-minute recess. Five minutes. I'll just, let me just, uh, Senator, if I might just quickly respond and then respond. go to the break. Thank you. I understand why this is frustrating. I do. But it is also the case that these policies that I am referring to about my inability to discuss ongoing investigations and certainly internal deliberations related to ongoing investigations are policies that have not only been in place for many, many years through multiple administrations of both parties, but, but in fact, these were policies that were actually strengthened under the last administration and that my predecessor was faulted in a fairly scathing Inspector General report for not following. And when so I you keep see that in my mind. You have an obligation to I call it out. Engage in this job. Thank you, you have an obligation to call out corruption. Is anyone ever held accountable in our government? A, a, a serious question there. When was the last time you heard of anyone in the federal government being fired? Our federal government can't even get their employees to come back to the office. It's a real problem. There is no accountability for any federal employee. And it's amazing to me. Another thing that came out in a hearing this week on Capitol Hill, and to me it was the most disturbing thing all week that I heard, and that was the head of the Civil Liberties 
up for the Department of Justice. Again, another Department of Justice person here in this hearing. And this one was before the House of Representatives. Uh, Congressman Dan Bishop asked the question of Miss Clark. Miss Clark had no idea about the Missouri versus Biden lawsuit. Now, in this lawsuit, and I'm going to let Jim Jordan clean up some of this after you hear from Miss Clark and Dan Bishop, but uh, it would, that was where the Twitter files discovered that the federal government was colluding with social media to shut down voices, to silence Americans, and take away their First Amendment right. There is no bigger court case in the Department of Justice right now, and it's all the way to the Supreme Court. There is nothing bigger than this. And the person in charge of civil liberties within the Department of Justice has no clue. Here's Congressman Dan Bishop. Ms. Clark, uh, in the Biden versus, uh, excuse me, the Missouri versus Biden case uh, in the district court, the court explained, quote, if the allegations made by the plaintiffs are true, the present case arguably involves the most massive attack on free speech in United States history, close quote. Court went on to find that the plaintiffs were reasonably likely to succeed on the merits at trial, entered a preliminary injunction. The Fifth Circuit has affirmed. Supreme Court has taken jurisdiction of the case. Of course, that's all civil litigation. Is any criminal investigation or prosecution of the persons responsible for that activity in the FBI, CISA, and at the White House and their co-conspirators underway in the Civil Rights Division? Um, Congressman, I'm, I'm not... Uh, familiar with this litigation, but happy to bring your question back. Thank you. So let me just make sure I understand that. You are not aware of the Missouri versus Biden litigation that is currently being taken up by the United States Supreme Court. Is that correct? Uh, un unfortunately, I'm, I'm not, Congressman. And at that moment, jaws dropped in this hearing. Let's go to Jim Jordan. He cleans this up and tries to pick up where Dan Bishop left off because, really, no one could say anything after they realized that Ms. Clark had no idea about Missouri versus Biden. I thank the gentleman for yielding. I'm, I'm like, I think, every member, at least on this side, but I, I would think every member, anyone watching, is just astounded that you are not familiar. The Assistant Attorney General for the Division of Civil Rights at the Justice Department is not familiar with a huge case, Missouri v. Biden, where in that case, I think it was six different federal agencies were found to be guilty of violating the First Amendment liberties of Americans, HHS, NIAD, FBI, DOJ, DHS, even the White House itself, and you are not familiar with that, is truly, I don't, I, frankly, I don't know what, to, I think that's why the gentleman had time to yield back, because he didn't know what, to, I, I don't know what we say, that, that is, un, it's, it's in front of the Supreme Court, and the head of Civil Rights Division doesn't know, is, is that is scary, and if that doesn't in and of itself show that this Justice Department is political, and doing things for political reasons, I do not know what does. Well, did you watch the presidential debate? It was the Republicans' fourth primary debate that happened in Tuscaloosa, Alabama this week. On stage was Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, there was Ron DeSantis, and Vivek Ramaswamy. And that's the four that are left that are trying to compete with Donald Trump. Of course, Donald Trump is still way ahead in every poll, just about. In fact, Donald Trump is ahead of Biden in national polls right now. Uh, so anyway, these four went and debated, and I found it interesting. I don't know why that Chris Christie is still there. I don't know what your thoughts are there. Uh, but then Ramaswamy, to me, seemed pretty desperate. A lot of people are saying Ron DeSantis had another good debate. 
and Nikki Haley has a ton of momentum right now. It's probably going to wind up with DeSantis and Nikki Haley at the end, the last two standing, trying to compete with Donald Trump. But it was Ramaswamy that really appeared to be desperate, and the crowd in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, they really didn't care for his approach. Here's Ramaswamy. We're talking about that trans issue. And Nikki Haley's campaign launch video sounded like a woke Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light ad talking about how she would kick in heels. At the first debate, she said that only a woman can get this job done. That's what she said. After the third debate, when I criticized Ronna McDaniel after five failed years of leadership of this party and criticized Nikki for her corrupt foreign dealings as a military contractor, she said that I have a woman problem. Nikki, I don't have a woman problem. You have a corruption problem. And I think that that's what people need to know. Nikki is corrupt. This is a woman who will send your kids to die so she can buy a bigger house. This is the problem. Using identity politics more effectively than Kamala Harris is a form of intellectual fraud. And it actually needs to end. There's our donor puppet masters wielding their puppet right up here tonight. This is how this game is played. The puppet masters put up their puppet, and I reject the use of identity politics in this party. It has been a cancer coming from the left, and I'm sick and tired of the double standards the people of this country are too. Having two X chromosomes does not immunize okay, you from thank criticism. You. Thank you, sir. I'm not saying that I disagree with what Ramaswamy said. I just don't know that that was the tact that he should have taken. And it seems like the people there were upset with the attack of Nikki Haley. Again, I think it's going to be Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis as we move forward. I think eventually Ramaswamy and and sooner than him, probably Chris Christie is going to go away, which needs to happen as quick as possible. We are going to come back here in just a minute. I'm going to introduce you to a congressional candidate from North Carolina. He's an interesting guy, young guy, a military guy, veteran, a uh, new veteran, too. For that, he's still in the U.S. Navy Reserve. His name is Matt Shoemaker. He's coming up next. He's coming right here on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code out loud. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray 
with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. With the rise of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news. Liberty and justice for all. Out Loud Talk Radio, we are the voice of freedom and liberty, trying to bring you the truth 365 days a year with great 24-hour-a-day content. Make sure that you download the app, America Out Loud Talk Radio. You can do that in either one of the Play Stores and listen and support the great content that is available here at America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm Booker Scott, and we're going to move into an area now that I think should be pretty important to everyone, and that's the election of 2024 that we have coming up. We have the primaries coming up. Uh, Super Tuesday is going to be March 5th. We have the Iowa caucus that is in January. So all of a sudden, everything that we've been talking about for the last year and a half, it is right here upon us in the new year in 2024. Right now, I want to bring on to the program a young man, and, and I really like shining the light on young conservatives that are trying to make a difference because I think it's so important. Uh, his name is Matt Shoemaker, and Matt, welcome to Our Lives in Politics. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. And uh, you are trying to represent North Carolina's 13th district, which right now happens to be in the hands of a Democrat. And the area of North Carolina, that is, I believe, is a, in a Raleigh. Is, is that correct? It's in the Raleigh area? Yes, sir. The outlying counties around Raleigh. Yeah. And there's been a lot of uh, changes to that district, like so many, when there's a new census. And then I think even, didn't District 13 go all the way to the Supreme Court of North Carolina over some lines that were drawn? Yes, it did. And and the, the previous lines were roughly an R plus two district. But now, since we've gotten new district lines in the past month or so, we're expecting it to be an R plus seven. So that's uh, certainly an uphill battle for the Democrat to uh, to hold on to the seat that he currently has. 
Yeah, that's good news. Uh, so, Matt, let's get to know you just a little bit here. And you, I, I read some about you, and you, you, you the, the bio kind of reminded me of Lieutenant Dan from uh, Forrest huh. Gump. You, you have, as I read it, your military background. Uh, first of all, you are a reservist in the U.S. Navy, where you were an officer and in intelligence. And, and later in the conversation, I want to get to what your expertise is, because I think it's very important with everything going on in the world right now that we get into China and we get into Russia. It happens to be a couple of things of your expertise. So I want to, but uh, let me get back to your family history. What made me think of Lieutenant Dan was in your bio, you, you have 200 years of history in your family of serving the United States military. And that's awesome. Thank you, sir. Yes, absolutely. I mentioned the U.S. Navy. You were an officer there. Uh, you graduate college. You get, I think, a master's degree. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Got a master's in philosophy from Mount St. Mary's University, a very tiny, very tiny university in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And then, and then I did my Ph.D. work in nuclear war strategy from King's College in London. And we see you on Fox News sometimes. You, you Unlike me, you have a television face. I have a radio voice and a face to go with it. So you have a lot of expertise in intelligence and we want to get to that, but uh, talk a little bit about your motivation. What is it that you see in the country right now that has you to a point, say, I can make a difference. I can be a guy that can make a difference when I get to Washington, D.C. Absolutely. So with regards to my own military career, I was actually on active duty orders with the Navy uh, stationed down at Central Command up until about six months ago. And the reason why I even decided to get involved in politics was because one experience that I had with Central Command, my commanding officer wanted to send me TDY, which is military terms for a business trip, uh, back to the, uh, the United Kingdom, where I had previously been stationed as part of European Command. And I had to draw up a budget for it. And it was going to cost about $15,000 or so. And I told my boss, I told my commanding officer that I could save him all of that money and do my job from my desk and do Zoom calls into whoever I needed. And he chuckled and said, well, we don't really worry about that here. Yeah. And, and I, it, it irritated me. And I said, how is that not waste, fraud, and abuse? And he, he chuckled once more and said, we don't really worry about that here. Yeah, I believe that. And the reason that irritated me so much is because a few days before, one of my sailors came to me and said that he and his family were on food stamps. And I looked into it and I found out that the Rand Corporation had published a study a month before saying that one in four service members is either on food stamps or food insecure. So from one end, I'm being told that my guys can't eat. And on the other side, I'm being told to spend money wildly. And I, it, you know, it came down to where in the world is there accountability in government, not just DOD. DOD has it bad. The last time we had a reform of DOD finances was in the 1980s. We are well overdue. And it's a national security issue because if we've got 25% of our guys, if they get sent to fight in a war and they're more worried about their spouse and kids being able to eat, their head is not in the game. That is a national security issue. And so from my experience and my family's experience going back, you know, 200 some odd years back to the American Revolution serving this country, you know, we stand for, for, uh, accountability and, and people uh, giving themselves to something bigger than themselves. So that's what I'm doing this for. You know, Matt, uh, transparency and accountability is something I think most of the people listening to this program right now would love to see. 
yeah, out of our government. But just recently, it was announced that the the sixth audit in a row was failed by the Department of Defense. And it, it really, when you look at the Department of Defense and so many agencies within government, what you just said is so true. They will not try to save money. There is no cutting. They have to spend every bit they get because every year they want to increase the budget. And if they don't spend it, they're afraid they won't get more. And they always want more and yeah, more. Absolutely. And actually, to your point about them failing an audit, the Pentagon has no clue where 60% of its budget is spent. That's $500 billion. They do not know where it goes. They just burn it. And that is corruption in my book. And Russia and Ukraine has proven to me what happens when corruption permeates your defense sector. And it's, it's absolutely a national security issue. Yeah, and it's it's ridiculous. You see that we're $33 trillion in debt, and our government is not better stewards of our money. And, and of course, the debt also makes us weak, and it's a national security issue as well. And we'll have to keep an absolutely. eye on that. Yeah. And- Go ahead. You know what, though? It's it's I don't mind paying for a world class military, but I want to make sure that we're getting a good return on investment for the money that we are spending. Hey, Matt, let's uh, talk for a minute about your experience with Russia and uh, China. Those are your fields of expertise. And we see what's going on in the world. And I don't know if you paid attention to Jake Sullivan. I I happened to catch a a Q&A that he did probably about two months ago now, where he was explaining why it is so important that America support Ukraine financially and militarily. And basically, I guess what people think inside the Beltway, at least within the administration, but when you look at Congress and Senate and the support that you see for Ukraine, they must think the same way within the Beltway, is that to stop Russia in Ukraine is sending the message to China that they can't invade Taiwan. As I look at that whole situation in Ukraine, it appears to me that what has happened is that Russia, China, and Iran have all benefited, uh, meaning our adversaries, have benefited the most from that conflict. And I'm not so sure that what their motivation is, is actually working. What are your thoughts on that? So from the China perspective, the way that the Chinese government operates, they could not give uh, uh, you know, a fig about what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. So to, the argument that Jake Sullivan is trying to make that we are sending a message to the Chinese by supporting Ukraine, that's not how the Chinese operate. That's not how they're looking at things. Now, the way that, you know, Jake Sullivan is arguing this and that we need to you know, have an unending commitment to Ukraine, it's funny that he even asked Congress to fund this war with Ukraine because It would be great if he could even tell us how much we've actually already spent in Ukraine. According to the Office of Management and Budget, we've already spent $111 billion in the past two years on Ukraine alone. But according to Jake Sullivan, who just came out this week, said that we'd only spent $76 billion. That's, you know, about $35 billion difference. That's a big number. How can you go to Congress saying, please give us more money to the tune of $61 billion, and yet they can't tell much how much we've actually already spent alone. And again, it comes back to transparency and accountability within our government. Uh, you, you mentioned yes, there that, you there that uh, that's not how China works. What do you think China's motivation is? Because since the beginning of this conflict, 
I have actually really looked at the conflict between Ukraine and Russia as a proxy war for China against us because we are depleting our resources, both financial and military, uh, to make us weaker. So uh, to me, it appeared that they were they were playing a rope-a-dope with us, allowing us to continue to spend all this money for Ukraine while they're just watching us spend it, our, our, our rockets, our, our military uh, infrastructure being depleted. And it makes China stronger, and I don't know that we're going to be in a spot to stop them when they get ready to invade Taiwan. Right. So the best way to think about China is that everything China does is for China first. Whatever example you want to take with regards to it, let's take Belt and Road initiatives where they go into African countries, where they go into South American countries. They'll they'll give them loans. They'll they'll build them roads. They'll build them facilities. But it's always going to be with Chinese labor and Chinese material, which means that they've got to spur their own Chinese economy. So, for example, if you need timber or if you need cement, that's going to be coming from the Chinese timber industry, the Chinese cement industry, and then they'll go and put that in Africa or South America. It's always about China and what is good for China. So yes, from this perspective, China is more than happy to allow the United States to deplete our resources because in the long run, that means that China can go about its own business and promote itself. And when it comes to China and the Belt and Road, the Belt and Road is something I've talked about for a few years. And people really need to understand what it is about because China for, I guess it was, it was it about 2013 that they officially launched the Belt and Road. And uh, their objective was to own companies, land across the world. And they've been very successful in the last decade. And people are sort of unaware of what their objectives are with that. It's, it's a little bit less about them owning the actual land. And, it, and the facilities, it's more about having access and the ability to control the situation. Because with regards to, for example, Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka had to turn over um, some facilities to the Chinese to actually control because the Sri, Lankan, Sri Lankans couldn't afford it uh, and couldn't afford paying back the loan. Now, the Chinese did take it over, but it's expensive for them to operate. They would rather have the Sri Lankans do it, but the Chinese have their fingers into it and be able to monitor the situation and control the situation that way. But that is an opportunity for them if they absolutely need to. They can come in and take control of actual physical locations. You're listening to Matt Shoemaker. He is a candidate for Congressional District 13 in the state of North Carolina coming up in 2024. He's also an expert on both Russia and China from being a military intelligence with the U.S. Navy. Uh, Matt, great to have you here. And uh, let's talk about uh, uh, China a little bit more because I believe, and I don't know where you stand on this, that China needs America intact. And I know a lot of people are always worried that there's going to be a World War III and that China wants to come and take America over. I just don't believe that that's ever really what they want. Like you were just saying, they want to control things. And, and in so many ways, I believe they do have a lot of control in this country, influence. And uh, we know that uh, so many, it, it appears anyway, that so many people in Congress are beholding to China. And so that's bothersome to me. And I, I don't know how you feel about that. So there are uh, voices within China, especially within military circles, that are itching for a fight with someone, whether it be with uh, India, 
which uh, has had a long-standing grievance with China for decades, if not centuries. But there are also some that that would actually prefer to have getting get into a shooting war with the United States. Now, thankfully, those individuals don't seem to be in decision-making positions, but those voices are still there calling for it. So at least at this present time, it doesn't look like that's going to get any traction with them. And thank God for that. Absolutely. But the United States certainly doesn't want to get into a shooting war with them. We would certainly it would be a very bad day for us, but it would be a worse day for the Chinese. And explain why it would be a worse day for the Chinese, because I've said this for a while, but you have a whole lot more expertise than I do. I have none. I can only you know, give my opinion on what I see. But you've been there. Why is it that China needs us as we are? Yeah. So for a couple of reasons why it would be a really bad day for the Chinese. One is that their military is untested. No, virtually no one in decision-making circles as commanding officers has ever actually seen battle or war, which is a big problem if you're trying to command people against you know the foremost fighting military in the world. Mm-hmm. The other reason is because the military equipment that they are creating is oftentimes counterfeit-type weapons. No one in the in the international community really wants to buy Chinese-made weapons because it's all counterfeit Russian weapons, and and the quality is as such that counterfeit in, in instances are. So, with regards to like, let's say for their example, their navy, they've got a lot of boats, but those boats are shoddily made, and they've cut so many different corners. So, the quality of the material alone, plus then the quality of the fighting force itself is going to be a big uphill battle for the Chinese to overcome. Matt, I want to move to the border real quick, and let's start a conversation about the southern border with the Chinese nationals that have been coming over the border. I saw a report uh, recently that 24,000 have been captured at the border, and I don't know, captured is probably not the right word, but uh, they have been uh, approached at the border, 24,000 Chinese nationals, and it appears like most of them are young men. Does that frighten you? Is there something up with that? Because a lot of people ask me that question. Yeah, it's it's certainly very concerning. Now, obviously, not all of them are going to be uh, military-aged men, or they're not going to be there for you know subversive, clandestine Chinese activities. But nonetheless, that's still a huge threat facing the United States that the Biden administration is just completely ignoring for whatever ideological reasons that they are. You know, I'm a big proponent of Congressman Mark Green of Tennessee's House Resolution 2 bill. It's currently stuck in the Senate. Mark Green's bill is absolutely phenomenal. He reinstates President Trump's remain in Mexico policy. And then he severely curtails the criteria under which illegals can claim asylum in the United States. It's an absolutely wonderful piece of legislation, and I 100% support Mark Green in that. And we spent a little time, maybe too much time, on China and Russia, but you, that is your expertise. So I wanted, wanted you to be able to shine a light on, on the things that you know about. But when it comes to Congress and people like yourself running, a lot of people get really excited about former military veterans that um, go into Congress. and But I, I point out also that there are also Democrats that have been, you know, in the military and that have run for office. And you look at a guy like Dan Crenshaw in Texas, who appears to be nothing more than a Republican in name only. 
how do you feel about that? Do you feel, and, and even let me take that a little bit further. I think most people, when they get ready to run for office like you are right now, they have great intentions, but somewhere along the way, I don't know if it's because when they get to office, they become part of the country club and the good old boy network, and they're told, this is how we're going to do it. Is that disappointing to you that you see people that are good quality, and then it seems that they, they change pretty quickly once they get to Washington, D.C.? It's certainly disheartening, especially when you know these are my brothers and sisters who have served in uniform. They've seen firsthand how bad things are in this country. So for them to, to sell out to, to the local elite in Washington is extremely disheartening. I think one of the things that I want to be held to and the standard I want to be held to is the fact that I am a proud America first candidate. I am the first candidate in my race to officially endorse President Trump for president. And I'm actually going today just to go and meet President Trump at Mar-a-Lago to to speak with him. So I'm very proud of being able to stand up for my country, to stand up for people who need accountability in government and to actually adhere to the Constitution, defend our borders and go after the Democrats for their socialist policies. And um, have a a great meeting with uh, Donald Trump today. or tomorrow, whenever it was you said you're going. But uh, congratulations on meeting him. And it's a big step to step out and endorse Donald Trump uh, right now for a lot of people. And you kind of saw that in the debate recently. Uh, None of them actually really want to go after him too hard. But, you know, the Democrats are making it about MAGA extremists. Uh, We have to save democracy. And if you vote for Donald Trump, uh, you're going to have to deal with MAGA extremists. So I commend you on being a man of your convictions on that. And let us let me ask you this, um, because I haven't gotten much into your personal life, but I want to just a little bit. What about family? I, I mentioned you're young. I don't know exactly how old you are, um, but you're old enough to have a <laughs> I'm doctorate. I'm 35, actually. Okay. Yeah, you're 35. So you are young, but you, you're seasoned and smart. I can tell you're a very smart person. Uh, what about family? Do you have children, wife? Uh, tell us about that. No, so I, I am unmarried. I don't have any children. Uh, the way that I phrase it is I've been married to the military for most of my life. <laughs> you know, my dad spent uh, 27 and a half years in the Coast Guard. He had a wonderful career. He retired as a command master chief as an E-9 a few years ago. And, you know, my favorite memory of the military is about a week after I took my uh commissioning oath, I got to go to my dad's retirement ceremony from the military, and I got to do what's called my first salute with him. Mm -hmm. Now, a first salute is when a uh, newly commissioned officer has not earned the respect of the enlisted yet to get a salute from them. So he finds an enlisted man or woman and pays them a silver dollar in exchange for their salute. So for me, I got to do that with my dad, where my first salute in the military was his last. It was a wonderful image of how I see this campaign of passing the torch, passing the baton to a new generation of Americans to lead us into the 21st century with modernity and modern conservative ideas. That's a great story. And in your family, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, it's 200 years of military service to America. And I thank you for your service. And I thank you for your time, Matt. I really do. Absolutely. No, my pleasure. And, you know, I just want to make the last point 
is that I'm running a campaign where my slogan is send intelligence to D.C. Because God knows we need it. I think every single person, when they go to the grocery store, look at their receipts or they go to the gas station, recognizes that Democrat socialist policies are destroying our freedom. It's destroying our economy and it's destroying our country. I think we all understand that. It's time we send intelligence to D.C. And if you like what I stand for and if you want to support us, you know, visit my website at votemjs.com. Contribute, donate to us, and let's send us to intelligence. And Matt, or people, let's send us to D.C. And, and Matt, people can follow you on social media. Tell people where they can follow yes, you sir. there. Yeah, so my Twitter account is votemjs.com, or votemjs. And the same is true for Instagram and Facebook. Matt, thank you for making the time for us, and the best of luck to you in your election in, uh, well, I guess Super Tuesday, March 5th, is going to be yes, your primary. So, so good luck, and thanks it's again. It's coming quick. Yeah, it is. And thanks, uh, thanks again. Have yourself a Merry Christmas, too. Merry Christmas, sir. Thank you very much for having me on. If you like what you heard there from Matt Shoemaker, make sure you support him in his race to win that 13th congressional district in North Carolina coming up on March 5th. My name is Booker Scott, and thanks so much for joining us here on Our Lives in Politics. And and remember, you were told 2,000 years ago, you are the salt of the earth. So keep being salty. Have a great week. You've been listening to Our Lives in Politics on the America Out Loud Network.